On this episode of A State of Control, we talk about frameworks. What are they exactly? Why do they exist? How they differ from templates? And who benefits from it? All that and more on A State of Control. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. A State of Control. A State of Control, Episode 68, Don't Fear the Framework. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment. Welcome to A State of Control, an AV Nation podcast that highlights the control, programming, and automation aspects of the AV industry. My name is Steve Greenblatt. I'm your host. Thanks for joining us. So on today's show, we're going to talk about the idea of using frameworks for AV projects. With me to discuss this interesting subject are some guests that I think will be able to weigh in quite well, and uh, one you're familiar with, and, and he's a returning guest, and another is new to the show. But first and foremost, let me say hi and introduce my partner here at A State of Control, none other than Rich Fergosa. How are you, Rich? Mellow shelter-in-place greetings from the West Coast. Yeah. <laughs> Been doing it a little bit longer than you guys, but uh, doing okay otherwise, you know. It's... Uh, as as many introverts have said, I have been training my whole life for this. So, I like that. I like that, and hopefully, this show will bring some some uh, much needed distraction to those that are listening. Uh, next uh, returning guest, he is Troy Morgan from Pantech. How are you, Troy? Welcome. I am well, guys. Thanks for uh, allowing me to be with you once again. I, I always enjoy doing these with you guys, so it's uh, it's great to be here. Thanks. And last but not least, his name is Doug Wolf. He's from Innovative Environments. He is actually a listener and uh, reached out and wanted to be part of a show. So we welcome him to the show today. Welcome, Doug. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, like you said, uh, longtime listener, first time caller, right? I love it. <laughs> At least we know somebody's listening. <laughs> well, uh, the idea of a framework is something that has come up a lot more recently. And I think that it has to do with the idea that the, the AV industry is moving more toward a software development approach. It's uh, that whether we're talking about more modern programming languages or we're talking about different ways to get projects done, you know, it, talking about streamlining processes, uh, meeting tighter deadlines, or even being able to scale productivity. So Rich, uh, why don't you start us off, talk a little bit about what a framework is, uh, you know, the whole concept and, and how it applies to the things that we do. Well, I think you had brought up a, uh, actually a really good distinction right before we started recording, which was there, there's a distinction between what a framework is and what a framework people think it is. Um, and sometimes a template is what a lot of people think a framework is, where it's it's kind of a a canned view. Um, it, it, so it, let's kind of roll back for a second, right? A template would be, here's what it looks like. And based on what it looks like, 
you kind of change something here or there, and you might change something from green to blue, or you might add uh, one extra piece, you know, an extra source. You might have two DirecTVs instead of one DirecTV. Uh, and, and that's really just a um, kind of like a substitution when you, when you order fast food, right? That's, that's kind of what a template is at that point, right? There, there's the menu, and there are the items on the menu, and maybe you can get a little bit of extra ketchup or, you know, hold the lettuce. That, the, the template approach is, is that. It's very, very defined in terms of what you can and can't do. Now, a framework is the environment itself, right? So that, that, that framework is, you know, or a sandbox, we'll call it. Um, again, we're talking with programmers here on this show, right? So a lot of them should be familiar with the term sandbox. And a framework is really the, the tools to assemble commonly used products and a interface method that streamlines your operation, right? So it does all of the heavy, potentially bespoke code that um, would otherwise need to be done. Um, so, you know, in a commercial application, uh, you know, a, in a template, you may choose from three or four codec codecs, right? And each codec has its own little peculiarities. But it gets a little bit granular. And, and so the problem with that is that, you know, you're spending a whole lot of time hoping that they have the right thing. A framework says, look, here's a video conferencing system. Here are the hooks or here are the, the elements of that. And, you know, it's, it's it, at that point, you know, you're being handed the Legos in that sense. You know, you don't have to build the Lego, but you still have to assemble the Legos. You have to know how they work together and put them in a unified fashion that works for your project, for your environment, for your company, for your style. And, and so frameworks are a lot more flexible in that aspect in that they are larger kits that you can bring together. But fortunately, someone possibly not yourself, you know, it could be a manufacturer, it could be a third party, um, provides these tools and they are, you know, fingers crossed, consistently maintaining it. That's the key um, in with any of these is that you could push it out once. The key to a framework is that it is being constantly refined, developed, updated, and built upon. And that's, in my opinion, that's always been the distinction between the two. The template, you're handed it, <laughs> Good luck. Have fun. You know, if, 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 you know, all of a sudden you wanted to go, perfect example. There were lots of great skeuomorphic templates out there about five years ago. And then one day Apple woke up and said, thanks, John Ivy. We're going flat for the rest of the entire free world. So now everybody who bought a template, which was, you know, just kind of this, the, these, these little pieces had decided that if they were pushing a new interface, you're doing it all over again. Um, a framework, if it was done right with some of these tools, you could swap out the graphics, you can change the look, but that same foundation stayed there. And so, um, you know, just kind of anecdotally, that, that, that's where I've been bit by a template between a framework. So, Troy, I'll, I'll um, continue the discussion with you. I know you have familiarity both in using and, and developing frameworks. Are we, uh, when we talk about the use of a framework, are we talking about something that doesn't involve programming? I mean, what's the distinction? Is it, is it something that is, is, you know, providing a configuration environment or are we talking about something a little bit broader where we're not necessarily taking the, the uh, creativity or the, or the skill um, out of the programmer's hands? 
Yeah, I think uh, there's a few things to that. Uh, first is a good framework is, uh, is going to be a foundation for the rest of whatever needs to happen. Okay, uh, sort of like Rich said, it, it's, it's not designed to be a done deal. It's not a completed work. It is a foundation. If it's a good foundation and a well-maintained foundation, then you're in you know great shape. I mean, there are some people that have put frameworks together that are in. I, I like using building. You know, Rich was using uh, you know one. I'm going to use a different one from a, a standpoint of building a house. Right, a framework is the foundation, and the template essentially is. Sort of like the end, the end game where you're picking your curtains and your color scheme and your paint and your, you know, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, if your foundation was built on sand, you get the idea of what's going to happen in the future, right? It's, it's going to be, you know, bad. Well, so you look at this framework being, uh, and the foundation being key and then secondarily, any good framework or foundation should be very flexible. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we, we chose the, the name ADAPT. Uh, it, it's got a lot of, you know, greatness to it from, a, from a, a simple name, but it really does speak to the capability of our framework in being able to adapt to whatever the situation is. All right, and then on top of that, a good framework does not take power away from a programmer or from the person responsible for the end result. Uh, you, you, that's the last thing you want to do. What you want to do is you want to get rid of the mundane things that are required over and over and over again and, and supply a, a framework that allows people to have some flexibility, but also uh, uh, not, not require so much time and effort from them to deliver a solid and reliable end result. Doug, uh, I'll uh, jump over to you, bring you into the conversation on this. Uh, I think Troy just brought up a really good point in terms of taking away time and, and, and trying to come up with a, a a good, an easier result and, and, and really removing some of the, the mundane tasks of programming. From your perspective and, and, and looking at it as an integrator that also provides software, what, where do you see a framework coming in to your uh, offerings? Like, is it something that if you were to, to develop or use something, is it, would you be using that to dictate your projects or would you be trying to see how your projects could fit into use of a framework? If, if yeah. you know what I'm saying. I do. And that's an inter uh, interesting qu uh, question because like you said, as an integrator, we have the luxury of kind of dealing with both ends. We have control over how we're designing and developing our overall systems. And we also have the luxury of developing our framework to kind of coincide with that, right? And for us as an integrator, what we're really looking for is a way, all the things that you guys have been talking about, right? As far as ROI, speed, agility, um, redundancy, being able to give a client the same experience time and time again, right? That's why we build these these frameworks for different reasons, right? To make things easier for us. 
Um, with that though, on both sides, software and hardware, I think what, how we look at it from an integrator standpoint is we're able to really control um, that user experience even a, a step further than I think a lot of other people can. You know, we're, we're, we're always trying to, to shine in our industry, right? We're always trying to find a way to separate ourselves from other integrators. And the way we're trying to do it, at least, is through the combination of software and, you know, hardware design to give an end user that experience, that, that iPhone experience, right? It's the hardware and it's the software and Apple has full control over what that experience is going to be. And that's what we're really trying to do. Um, and using the same black boxes as, you know, most companies, our advantage is that we do have software developers and we do look at things from the software side, building out our frameworks to, to do the, the generic functionality um, day in and day out that um, will not only allow us to, to grow as a company, um, but will give a better result to the, the client. It allows us to, instead of having, uh, you know, our throughput with programmers, right? As an integrator, a lot of times we only have one or two programmers that can go out, code a system, commission it. They're kind of the end all be all. What we're doing is we're taking our, our coders and allowing them to build these frameworks out. And they're more of a support team now for our, our techs out in the field with the software that we develop. So now I have, if I have a dozen techs, I have a dozen projects can all be uh, programmed or commissioned all at one time, right? And we really look at these things from a framework is, is adding on feature sets as needed to once again, kind of control that, that user experience. Troy, I'll, I'll jump back to you. I mean, we talked a little bit about um, products and, and devices that are supported and, and the, the, the idea that, that the framework or the building blocks, is it important to be able to, if you're, if you're going to choose to work with a framework, is it important to be able to have control over developing those building blocks as well? Or is that something that the expectation is somebody else is going to handle? Well, uh, I can go both ways on that one. Um, I, I think that the responsibility uh, to the framework at the device level um, exists on both sides. Uh, because I, I think that the software guys, the, the developers have to give credence, uh, credence and credibility to the fact that a device has a play button, right? I mean, there, there are certain things that we just – it's, it's a given, we know it going in, this device has play. Uh, and so from a framework standpoint, yeah, you, you've got to make sure that, that the devices in that sort of category can do play. And then you've got that one oddball device that has a play pause button. Still got play, but it's a pause button too. Now what do you do? And there's, that's where the framework really has to be stretched a tad and then put power back into the hands of the programmer to sort of solve uh, the problem. Um, I'm tell a, a, a quick story, uh, and before I do, I'm gonna unplug something. Um, so when I start, first started developing uh, the Amazon Alexa stuff, um, I, I have a DGE 200 that allows me to see, you know, overlay for a TV so I can be in the family room and Alexa's trained me now quite well because that's the way it has to be with that thing. And so I know to say, 
Alexa tell Crestron to set the volume to 35% in the family room. I, I know that, you know, perfectly, right? But the, the thing that happened was uh, up popped 34% on my, on, on my TV, on my touch, essentially on my touch screen. And I'm going, what? And, I, you know, us programmer guys, we're a little OCD about things, as we should be. And I said 35%. Why am I seeing 34%? Well, fundamentally, uh, Amazon and whoever developed all that and Crestron and who's developed all that stuff, there is a 0.001% difference between how those two understand volume. Fix that one in a sandbox. It's not going to happen. This is where foundations are great and keeping power in the hands of a programmer is also equally uh, as great and, in my opinion, very, very necessary. And so that, that's when you, when you get back to the framework thing, I think it's a two-part deal. I think it's respon the responsibilities on the developer of the framework to make sure that there's flexibility and there's always going to be responsibility on the programmer to deliver the end result with respect to the devices. Rich, I'll, I'll jump over to you. Uh, um, we know uh, from, from doing this for quite some time, and I'm sure everybody else will, will agree, that programmers can be stubborn. And, and some of them, they don't like not being able to know what's going on behind the scenes, uh, even when it comes down to drivers and modules, even if there's, you know, there may be something available to them and they're still going to want to dissect it or do it their way. How is that, how, how, how do you balance the value and the benefit of having a framework versus needing and wanting to do things your own way? How do you feel about making money? <laughs> I, I mean, that's, there's there's two different approaches to that but first and foremost we're in business right uh as a and again you know i uh we we have a nice cross section here right i a lot of my business model still revolves around residential and still revolves around bespoke um so you know there's always going to be the need for bespoke um that now um, that's great, and everybody loves the idea of Bespoke, but Bespoke has its challenges. Bespoke has a lot of pain, a lot of anguish, and you have to be slightly masochistic to want to enter into that process. Um, and if you're not good, or if you're not methodical, uh, you can get upside down in a project very quickly. So that leads into this point. The purpose of what we do is to get in, get out, get paid as a business owner. Now again, most of the people that'll be listening or watching, that's the whole goal, right? Happy clients, profitability. You get those two, you have your employees, your programmers, your techs and everything else. They're moving forward and then great. And if you wanna go into, you know, kind of the teaching hospital version, which is great, let's dissect what we've just done. You have the ability to do that. You can do that in the lab environment. But the reality is, is from a project standpoint, you shouldn't be learning on the job, you know? And, and unfortunately that's been our industry for the past 20 something odd years is that there was a lot of learning on the job because we were figuring it out as we went. We've matured as, at the, as an industry at this point that we don't have to keep taking the inefficient ways of that we've been doing it just because that's the way we've always done it. Um, and if you look at, you know, I've said, you know, before the greater tech industry, 
they figured it out a long time before we did. There are a lot more software projects. There are a lot more uh, software developers that exist outside of our industry. And guess what? They use frameworks. They use tools. They use crowdsource, for lack of a better word, information in order to be better at what they do and learn along the way. However, they don't sit there and go, gosh, you know, I, I, I've said this so many times with, with guys out on the field is that, you know, I asked you what time it is. I didn't ask you how to build a clock. <laughs> there is a big difference at that moment. Um, and so when you, if the framework fits what you need most of the time, you work with it because that allows you the flexibility to free up your time, to focus on, and, and, and again, I think this should be the model that, that most of these companies should be going towards, is software development and, and improving your craft should always be part of your day, part of your week, part of your, your business structure. However, you need to plan it better. You need to execute it better. So if a framework and working with tested solutions allows you to push something out, know that it's reliable so that you're not getting service calls. You're not worrying about truck rolls. You're not worried about, you know, in the case of residential, you know, a 7 p.m. call on a Saturday. That gives you the time to focus on your continuing education. Absolutely. You want to work, you, you, you want to learn other programming languages. You know, you're not versed in HTML. These are all of the other things that you then have the flexibility in a controlled environment to augment the framework. That's the special sauce. For the longest time, everybody thought the special sauce was, it's literally from scratch. Here's, you know, here's my Heinz 57. Here's my 57 ingredients, you know, here's the seven herbs and spices, right? That's fantastic. But at this point now, get in, get out, get paid, then use the free time and hopefully the money to be able to refine your craft, to get better as a developer, to create those offerings that you can test and, and that you can deploy reliably um, over time, that does set you apart from the competition. Because again, that is the whole point, right? The value added self. Here's, you know, here's our baseline. Here's what we offer everybody for you know, whatever we budget, you know, we, we provide as our price level. By the way, um, you, know, you sit there and you go sometimes, you know, I've done it in resi, you look at somebody and go, you want to see something cool? And their eyes kind of glint up. That's when your, spe your special sauce comes in because you've developed it. Uh, and again, programmers are stubborn, absolutely. But you're right. not gonna be a programmer for long if yeah, you're not that's making money. That's right. You, know, you, you, you maybe, I wrote something down because as you were talking and, and, and listening to Steve's question, something popped into my mind. Uh, fear the framework. The question is, uh, are you fearing your own or somebody else's? Because the reality of a framework is yeah, you're right. Most programmers don't, they don't like using somebody else's stuff because they don't know what's going on and they don't know what's happening on the inside. And then, you know, you talk about the, the stubborn programmer kind of guy and I, you know, I get it. I've been there. Yeah. You know. But here's what's interesting about that. Develop your own framework and see what happens later on. You won't remember anything you did. You won't remember how you did it. You don't know what you did. You're, you're basically in a position where you, you should probably be afraid of your own framework too uh, under those same conditions. And the reality is if you grow, you got more people now, and now you got more people that have to learn your framework. The, the point is frameworks should not, you shouldn't be afraid of them. 
if they're developed well and foundationally sound, whether it's your own or somebody else's, don't be afraid. Don't fear the framework. But do your due diligence. Make sure that, you know, it does what it's supposed to do and what you need it to do. Use an 80-20 rule. That's what we use with making decisions about what we're going to add to the framework or not have in the framework or whatever. Um, and, you know, if 80% of the time it, it's useful and necessary, then it probably should be in there. And if not, you need to have the flexibility to handle the other 20% as well. So, you know, it, it, whether, whether it's your own or somebody else's, I don't think should matter as much as us stubborn programmers, uh, uh, you know, we're control freaks. It's what we do. I, I remember uh, at Masters, and you guys may remember this, um, I think it was Rich Sassan stood up in front of everybody and said, uh, so show of hands, how many people own a manual transmission? <laughs> and the whole room <laughs> had their hand up because we like to be in control of things. And, and it was a perfect sort of point. Uh, that I, I came away going, wow, I, I'm not the only you know, stubborn control freak in the room. So anyway. <laughs> it's about the only time I've ever heard that a framework may need more cowbell. <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't fear the framework, baby. Don't fear Don't the framework. Fear <laughs> Doug, I'll bring you into the conversation, uh, you know, in your position, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, is that, that you have a little bit more control over your projects. And, and now when it comes to, to approaching clients, is there a difference between talking to them about using a framework? To, is it, is it, does it impact them other than from, a, from a, maybe a cost or a, or a um, efficiency standpoint, is there going to be, I, I know some clients these days are also interested in being able to maintain something on their own or be, or have source code. Does, does that discussion come into play? Uh, no, actually it doesn't, it really doesn't come into play at all. Um, you know, clients really aren't, they're not asking those questions. They, they want, they want simple, they want cheap and they want fast. You know, um, in the, the commercial world, they, they really do. They want to be able to um, service their, their systems, but they want to service their systems from the, the standpoint that it's just working. They're not really looking to, to, to make any broad, sweet changes to the way the system's being used, right? They just want to know, they want consistency, right? They want to be able to walk into one room they want to be able to walk into a thousand rooms and they want to know that all their users that are walking into those rooms are going to get the same experience across the board, even if they're in, you know, the, the Chicago office or the Detroit office, right. Or, you know, whoever else they want, they want consistency. And I think that's what we can really give them when we start looking at, you know, this, this framework approach, right. Um, Rich brought up a, a good point where these, these frameworks really, um, and, and Troy did it too, right? With the 80-20. The frameworks that we're building out are very much, will do about 80% of what our, our end user expecting it to do. And we leave that other 20% open to do what we're calling custom. But you know, reality is we're really not doing a whole lot of custom jobs, right? We're not doing a whole lot of customization in huddle rooms, 
We're not doing it in small conference rooms. We're not doing it really in medium conference rooms. We're doing it a little bit when you start getting into the executive boardrooms. But still, again, those are becoming very, very standard, right? With things like Teams and Zoom and all these soft codecs, they're really starting to dictate how we or you know how we use these these spaces now. So I think third-party companies are starting to, to set certain expectations that us as um, you know programmers and, and can can kind of adapt to it, right? And we start building frameworks based around what customers' expectations are. So no, to answer your question, clients really aren't asking. Uh, the wanting the code that's always a big thing, and not, obviously that's a topic for a whole nother. <laughs> podcast, right? That we can talk about, um, you know, clients getting the code, not getting the code. I think that's really what they would be worried about is once again, though, it comes down to serviceability, right? They want to know if they have a falling out with you or you go out of business, that there's a way to service their system still. Um, and with what we're doing, we're giving them the tools to, 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 to kind of change the room a little bit, um, you know, and have certain control over what that room looks like based on our, our framework. So we're, you know, not only putting the, 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 the control into our text hands, but we're also giving our end users um, a limited uh, ability to, to adjust, you know, the room. If they want to swap out a display, they can go ahead and do that themselves. And through, through a back end, they can say, okay, it was a sharp display, but now it's an LG. They don't need to call us. They can swap that display out themselves. So we're giving them a little bit of control so they really aren't relying on us as much anymore. I'll elaborate on that a little bit more because I think that that actually solves some of the challenges that we talk about because it seems to me, and, and I think it's a good point that I, I, I wasn't even thinking about, is that there, there's a lot of uh, there, there, there have been a, a lot of discussion or a lot, programmers take a lot of heat for doing modifications and, and being able to provide that in either a cost-effective way or a way that a programmer doesn't need to get involved has, has a big selling point, I would imagine. It does. Uh, so I can start out with kind of my philosophy. Uh, been a programmer in this industry pretty much my entire life until I started the, the um, you know, my business. Um, we about almost two years ago, I kind of took the stance that we were not going to hire what we would consider traditional AV programmers. I we were going to go ahead and start hiring outside of our industry, bring them in, teach them our industry, teach them the hardware, how to communicate with hardware, um, you know, that type of stuff. And they were you know, really going to be a support group for our company. They weren't going to be the guy that sat down, banged out the code, like I said before, you know, go went in and commissioned it. They're very much building frameworks, building the software to give the tool to our clients and our installers to go out. Then what we're doing is we're taking our clients and our, our team's feedback, right? Just like traditional software, and we're, we're putting in feature requests, right? And we're, we're kind of triaging which ones we think are important based on clients' feedback and our, our tech's feedback, and we're, we're start, we develop it that way. So with that, we, are, we really want to give as much control to everybody but the, the, you know, our developers. They don't really care what they're developing. They don't really have the passion that a lot of um, you know, the programmers in the industry have for that, right? Geeking out, wanting to have control over the way the system works 
right? And fiddling with it and changing things. And anytime they change one thing, cause they had a great idea, they might break something that was tried and true. I mean, we've all dealt with it out there before, right? Well, it worked yesterday, but you made a change that doesn't today. We're, we're trying to take that away. And, um, you know, with the team that we've developed, we really have, we've gotten lucky that we've got, um, traditional, we have one traditional AV programmer, but he also has a strong background in just standard coding. And then the rest of the guys, they, they had no idea our industry existed. And so we brought them in. They had no idea what Crestron was or AMX or anything like this, right? So they bring a completely different skill set to, to our team and uh, have really been able to allow us to grow and develop something. I think that um, not a lot of people really develop for their, their end users. And we really are trying to give that control to, to the end users and, um, you know, build something based on their feedback. Thank you. That's a very good explanation. And it actually presents a good opportunity for people who are looking to get into the industry and also potentially a, uh, a justification for why we're, we're evolving our skills. Yeah. Uh, what we're really, uh, one other thing, what we're really starting to see from that side is, um, the, the non-traditional AV programmers, they're getting up to speed faster than I thought was going to be possible. Uh, they, they're taking this and geeking out, for lack of a better way, on what we're doing. It's such a new world for them that they really are developing skills very quickly and adapting to our industry. Yeah, there's a, there's a difference um, between a programmer and a developer. Um, and, and so I've done a lot of the same things, Doug, in terms of, you know, stretching outside of our, our industry to talk to people and, and also bring in talent as well because they think differently. And, and you said it really well. There, there's a passion, like in our industry, there's a passion for the end result. There's a, a, a distinct definite like care like we we got to when we press the button it's got to be this color it's got to look like this it's got to be perfect you know that's great but a developer they don't need to be thinking like that they don't care about that and, and we don't want them thinking like that we want them thinking about uh the architecture of of things and what happens when you snap this thing in to all the other things that you've developed you know it, it that it's just a completely different mindset. And I think that our industry has been lacking that for a long, long time. And it really wasn't until we started to see, the, even though it's older, but you know, Visual Studio 2008 becoming a possibility for Crestron and Simple Sharp and Simple Sharp Pro and some of the, that's when it started to open up this, our industry, in my opinion, to the real developers out there. Because without a tool like that even, I mean, I tried it early on. I tried to bring in a guy who was a, a real developer and gave him simple windows and simple plus and said, here you go, man, here's your tools. And he said, yeah, no, <laughs> we're done here. <laughs> you know, and even still, uh, Visual Studio 2008 being the tool that we, that we use. Now, that's changing. I'm super, super excited. We're all stoked about that. Can't wait. Four series, yay. Way to go, Tuan and the guys. But uh, yeah, until until even Visual Studio 2008, our industry, in my opinion, didn't have a shot when it came to Crestron. 
Well, we're, we're going to have to wrap it up there, but uh, I think this is a great topic that will again leave the audience looking for more. Um, I, I thank you guys. This is a, a, a I learned some things and and certainly a lively conversation that will provide a lot of value. Uh, thank you for being part of the show. First, uh, I'd like to thank Troy Morgan from Pantech. How can people get in touch with you? Learn more about Adapt and uh, and and uh, what your company is up to. Sure, yeah, so thank you guys as well. Um, you can learn more about ADAPT and uh, something new that, we're, that we've added to our offering, uh, ADAPT Energy, at www.pantechdesign.com, uh, or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, all your, your normal social media outlets, and simply just look for Pantech Design. Thank you. Doug Wolf from Innovative Environments. How can people get in touch with you and uh, learn more about your company? Yeah, you can find us obviously at our website, innovativeen.com and pretty much all social media, uh, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, all those, all those fun places. And thanks for your contribution. Hope this was a good experience for you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sure. And last but not least, uh, Rich, how can people get in touch with you and learn more about what you're up to? Uh, well, you can find us on our website, fergosadesign.com. Uh, you can find me on the Twitters or in the uh, interwebs, uh, Twitter at rfergosa. But as I always say, the best place I hope you can find me is here on our AV Nation collection of shows uh, here at avnation.tv. Uh, hopefully supporting us, supporting our sponsors, and hopefully seeing uh, Steve and my happy faces for many, many episodes to come. I just listened to you recently on uh, on Resi Week, so everybody should tune in a couple episodes ago. It was a, it was a good conversation. Uh, as Rich said, uh, visit avnation.tv to learn more about this show and all the others that are on the AV Nation network. Uh, lots of good content out there, especially uh, at this time of year. There's uh, there, there's a lot a lot of both news uh, and uh, evergreen content on various shows. Uh, to, to reach me, Steve Greenblatt, uh, simply Steve Greenblatt on all social media platforms or my company, Control Concepts, at controlconcepts.net. Uh, while you're at uh, the Aviation site, please take some time to visit the supporters and thank them for their support to make this and all the other shows uh, possible. That's aviation.tv, in case I uh, didn't say it enough. But uh, thank you for joining us today on A State of Control. That's all we have for the show. 